Support for Charlotte Readers Podcast is provided by Park Road Books, the oldest and only independent bookstore in Charlotte, and by Charlotte Mecklenburg Library, a connector of readers, leaders, and learners with 20 locations and a 24-hour online presence. Support is also provided by members like you, and for that, we offer our gratitude along with some awesome member-only content. You can find out more about these member benefits at charlottereaderspodcast.com. Welcome to this Under the Covers episode of Charlotte Readers Podcast, where authors give voice to their written words. This is the Friday version of Charlotte Readers Podcast, where host Landis Wade and his author guests get under the covers. That's right. We get in and out because there are just too many interesting books and engaging authors in the region and not enough time. And just like the longer version of the show, you'll learn interesting facts about the authors and their books, and the authors will read their work. And also, like the longer version, you will find images, links, and information about the authors in the show notes at charlottereaderspodcast.com. We are a proud member of the Queen City Podcast Network, a uh, collection of Charlotte podcasts produced in and centering around the Queen City, and also a proud member of Authors on the Air Global Radio Network, broadcasting radio shows and podcasts about authors to a worldwide audience. I'm Landis Wade, the producer and host of this podcast. I'm a recovering trial lawyer. I'm the author of a trilogy of books where lawyers save Christmas, kind of a cross between My Cousin Vinny and Miracle on 34th Street, and I write stories, and I love books, and I love dogs, and I love beaches and mountains and fly fishing and sports and reading and more, and I also love getting under the covers with my authors. So let's get to it. Hey, listeners, welcome to this Under the Covers episode of Charlotte Rears Podcast. I'm visiting today with Jordan O'Donnell, and we're talking about the book uh, Zoom Garden, a political allegory and social critique of the human experience. Jordan O'Donnell is a former FBI employee turned novelist. After two and a half years at the FBI, he refused Secret Service, DEA, and FBI agent offers to pursue the writing of his first book, Zoom Gardens, in hopes of bringing civility and empathy to polarized America. Jordan aspires to be a homeless millionaire, a successful man who gained the world but gave it back to the people for sake of a better tomorrow. And I'll just have to tell you that uh, we recorded this in September, and it's not going to come out until December. So neither Jordan nor I know what the world is going to be like uh, in December uh, post-election and where we stand. But uh, having said that, this book probably is going to have some uh, opening uh, pieces along the way that we can we can dive into that uh, may become relevant uh, at the time. So, hey, Jordan, welcome to the show. Hey, Landis. Yeah, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, congratulations on the book. Thank you. appreciate it. It was, uh, yeah, it was a pretty, pretty lofty endeavor, but it's, uh, it's really cool to see the final finished product. Yeah, and before we get into the book, uh, I want to talk a little bit about you. You uh I mentioned in the opening here that you were an FBI agent, you had a promising career in law enforcement, and then you dropped it all to write a political allegory. So what, yeah. <laughs> that, must have been a, that must have been a hell of a night on the town. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that, uh, that sentence there definitely turns, turns some heads. Um, yeah, I do, I do want to clarify that I, so I was an FBI employee for two and a half years, and I, I had my FBI agent offer and was about to head to Quantico, um, but I was, I was an analyst, and so... Got got the agent offer, was about to head there, and then decided not not to take the uh, not to take that route. But uh, yeah, I, I I saw some interesting things in in the FBI and um, kind of with the incivility and sort of the direction our country's headed right now with just you know just how much tribalism and division is going on. I uh, 
felt felt compelled to write a social critique, a political allegory that could kind of you know shine a light on on what's happening around around the globe, around America, and hopefully open some some minds to get to a more civil place. Yeah, it's a fun book. It's got a lot of animals in it. Uh, we're going to get to that <laughs> in a little bit, but uh, as probably there are a lot of people would say, there are a lot of animals in politics too. So we'll have to do, right. deal with that separately. But uh, before I talk a little bit more about your past and your present, this comment I made in the opening here, which came from you, that you aspire to be a homeless millionaire, a successful man who gained the world but gave it back. So first of all, how old are you, and at what age do you plan to make that first million? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's uh, that's tough. So I'm I just I turned 27 a couple months ago. Uh, so 27 years old. When will I make my first million? Uh, it's it's up in the air. I don't I don't have a you know a specific goal of I need to make my first million by 30. I, I'm more on the more of the idea that I just you know wake up and I try to work as hard as I can every single day and when it comes about, it comes about. Um, but it definitely, you know, I wouldn't be angry if Zoom Garden sold a million copies and, and put me put me in that realm. Yeah, well, that's good. Well, you had a very creative marketing uh, way for your book we're going to talk about too in this episode. But you were a Division One wrestler for Virginia Tech where you completed your undergraduate and graduate work. Uh, you now write, wrestle, and weightlift while you look for that next adventure or as you say, to pursue that uh, next injustice to fight. And you split your time between a farmhouse on the East Coast and a converted school bus traveling the Americas. But right now, you said you're on vacation. You're down at the beach. We're doing this in September. Right. Um, but but let's let's talk about that. We got uh, a farmhouse and a converted school bus. And there will be a picture, listeners, in the show notes of the school bus with a bunch of people hanging off of it, standing on top of it, got their heads out of it. But uh, tell us how you went from life on the farm to life on the bus. So I, when I when I quit the FBI, I was looking for a place to, to basically finish the book and, and survive with, you know, uh, spending minimal money. So one of my friends has a farm up in Maryland, and we went up there and converted this old cabin basically into a living, living house. And so I uh, lived there, lived there a little bit and work on that house. And then I, as a debut novelist with an interesting book, uh, you still have to kind of, you know, find a way to make a big splash and gain a lot of people's attention. So my idea was I could couple my, my writing pursuits with my desire to take the great American road trip. And so I bought a school bus, converted it um, basically into a, a mobile home, and then I hired 20 college interns and bought two RVs and then we took a 18 person road trip around America so that that finished up about uh about 3 weeks ago um and it now, was now, it was crazy was this, was this part Kerouac and part uh, National Lampoon summer vacation or <laughs> yeah. yeah it was a, a little bit of both we were we were drug free thankfully so not too much Kerouac and uh, but, but yeah, it was, it was awesome. And it really was a, a genuine adventure. You know, they, I think Yvonne Chouinard with Patagonia talks about how the adventure starts when the, the plan goes out the window and our plan basically fell apart on like day one. So, um, it was, it was a true adventure the entire time. Now this is a big green, uh, school bus, right? I mean, that you're driving across America. 
Correct. Yeah, it's a big... did, did it make it across America? And back? <laughs> it did. Yeah. So we the bus was actually it only went sixty five miles per hour. So and then up mountains it only went about twenty. So it at at points it gave us it was a pain in our butt. But yeah, it was it was the most reliable of the of the three vehicles we had. It was the only one that didn't have mechanical issues. So the the R one of the RVs lost a wheel. Um, one of the other RVs broke an axle. So. And the bus was just the tried and true. Now you're you're taking this road trip during COVID. Um, you, you know you're you've got uh, I don't know maybe ten or eleven women, ten or eleven men. Uh, you're you're going. What what what's the purpose of this adventure? And what kind of what were some of the most surprising things that happened along the way? <laughs> oh man, that's that's a, a whole other podcast within itself. I think, but. The, the so the so the initial purpose the idea was have all of these people they're in different positions publicity marketing uh, videography so we were shooting a documentary and pre COVID the idea was three month road trip spend about three or four days in each city and before we leave for the road trip we have events set up we have readings set up we have all sorts of things set up um, and so you know this was our our big splash where we were really going to spread Zoom Garden across America and take the book to the people. And then obviously COVID happens and all of that completely goes out the window. You know, you can't have an itinerary, you can't have events. Um, and so we basically, I had to make a decision of, do I just see this through and, you know, see what happens knowing that the book is not going to, you know, we're not going to be able to spread it as well as we would like, but, you know, shoot a cool documentary and, and um, kind of see what happens. So kind of decided to do it. And uh, it was, it was, it was one heck of an adventure. We, <laughs> We ran into a million problems. Um, we, like I said, we broke an axle. We lost a tire. We sometimes didn't know where we were going to be sleeping that night. Definitely went five or six days without showering at times. Um, and what was supposed to be three or four days in each city turned into, you know, a day, day and a half. So we were running around uh, doing doing a lot of cool stuff and selling books along the way, but mostly just having you know, this, this really awesome adventure, uh, getting to experience America. All right. So you probably found some new readers along the way. How many relationships respond on this trip here? <laughs> how many intimate <laughs> relationships? Or... <laughs> well, you don't have to go that. I'm just talking about how many people came out of this, uh, you know, having, uh, very close relationships with, you know, before they went in, was it a great experience in that regard? It was, it, it really was. I, I think, um, it was, it was almost, it was almost scary how how quick everybody became friends. Um, I knew, you know, we we had over three hundred applicants for the tour. I interviewed about eighty people, and then I hired basically the twenty best. And I hired mostly off of personality and who I knew would get along well. Uh, and so we we did. I mean, probably like day two or three, it already sort of felt like a family. And there was so much adversity that we had to go through together that by week three or four, we were really solidified as, as really close friends. So I know people are already, they're still keeping in touch. People are already talking about moving to overseas together and all sorts of fun stuff. So, um, yeah, they, they're definitely some brothers and sisters of mine that, that will continue to be for years to come. 
All right, well, Jordan, we might have to get together on my Patreon channel sometime. That's where I do uh, longer conversations with authors about uh, such things as marketing and the craft of writing. Maybe we could call it the Great School Bus Adventure, and you can talk about, you know, a, a marketing technique that probably not too many authors use. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, although I did have an author, I did have an author who's going to be uh, on the show, Rick Pruill, and he he actually took a group to. Uh, Prague because his book was about Prague and that's kind of an interesting kind of similar thing to what you did. Anyway, yeah. right, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to talk about the book today. We can't talk about the bus trip. Day, <laughs> right, so, right, right. Uh, before before we do that though, uh, let's talk about the book cover uh, for Zoom Garden. Uh, tell me what we're looking at. We got shades of gray here on the cover, and uh, uh, it looks like uh, is that the sheep and the wolf? Is that it what is. we're looking at? It is. So when I was talking with uh, my like book cover designer, you know, we, I had a bunch of ideas kind of drawn out and he, I said, Hey, all right, you know, if I give you full autonomy, what are you, what are you going to come up with? What's your, what are your thoughts? And he said, look, man, it's, you can relate to the book, but really you just need a very iconic image that catches the eye. And so he decided to do a half wolf face with a half sheep face and then intermix black and white um, to kind of, you know, represent good versus evil and then sort of split it right down the middle um so yeah it's a pretty iconic image and then it also is very very related to to the actual book of you know who's good who's bad is it the wolves or the sheep or are both kind of good and bad and uh yeah i i was really really happy with how it turned out all right well that's great well look uh, you ready to get under the covers absolutely yeah we'll be getting under the covers in just a moment but because this is december and because i've written a series of books about lawyers who save Christmas. This episode is partially sponsored by me. You can find out more about my Christmas courtroom trilogy at landisway.com. The first book in that trilogy is permanently free. A uh, number of retail sites and links on that uh, website, landisway.com, where you can download that uh, first book. All three books are now also out on audiobook, and information is uh, there at the website about that as well. And I thought I'd play just a little clip here. Uh, from the second book in the series, this is where Twirly Masters, the client in the second book, is meeting for the first time Thad Raker, the lawyer who saves Christmas three times. Of course, he has help from others. And in this little uh, clip, you're going to hear them talking about this idea of belief, an idea that's on trial in all three of the books. So enjoy this little clip uh, between Twirly Masters and Thad Raker in the second book. The Legally Binding Christmas. I'm not a true believer, Raker said at last. Not anymore, so maybe I'm not the lawyer for you. Masters got out of his chair and walked to the window. Raker could see him looking at the courthouse. He then turned to face Raker. Thad, may I offer you some advice? There are two kinds of people, those who believe and those who don't. Some say there is no difference between the lives of believers and non-believers, but I have seen the difference with my own eyes, felt it in my heart. Yes, I have. Yes, indeed. Times are not always easy. Tough things happen to good people. Life can hit you hard. You can suffer for reasons that are unexplainable, and there are things you can't control. But I can tell you something that's absolutely, positively wonderful and true. You and only you control your beliefs, and no one can rob you of them. Belief is free. Yes, it is. And maybe, just maybe, if you believe hard enough, you will have a return on investment that cannot be measured or predicted. Raker was already weary, and his day was just getting started. 
He wanted to tell Twirly Masters to leave, but he couldn't do it. He had a feeling, nothing more, but it was one he hadn't experienced since the day he met Henry Edmonds. Raker thought himself the fool, but he decided to hear the man out. I hope you enjoyed listening to that clip from the second book uh, in the Christmas Courtroom Trilogy, The Legally Binding Christmas. The narrator is named Bill A. Jones. He's best known as an actor for his humorous role as a news anchor, Rod Remington, on Fox TV's Glee. He's also appeared on Comedy Central's Workaholics, The King of Queens, CSI New York, Everybody Hates Chris, General Hospital, Days of Our Lives, and many other shows, and he's done voiceover work such clients as the Disney Channel and Warner Brothers and the Fox Movie Channel. And he was named one of L.A.'s best concert cabaret artists. Uh, he really did bring to life uh, the story uh, in all three books, and I had a, had a great time working with him. If you'd like to find out more about the trilogy, uh, both the uh, print books, the e-books, and the audiobooks, uh, again, you can go to LandisWade.com and check those out. But having said all that, uh, let's get back to the episode get under the covers and find out more about uh, this book. All right, listeners, we're under the covers uh, with uh, Jordan O'Donnell. He's the author of Zoom Garden, uh, also a creative marketer. He took the uh, book on the road, so to speak, this past summer. Um, this book, uh, Jordan, uh, you said it's a political allegory. It's um, Let's talk a little bit about the story itself. Uh, you know, we have Zoom Garden. We have a mysterious zookeeper of Clarendon Zoo, and and we don't see much of him. He's kind of in the background, uh, but he grants the animals freedom to govern themselves, uh, and these creatures create a new land that's supposedly founded on life, liberty, and happiness for all animals. So uh, maybe we should start with, um, you know, how this idea first came to you, and then we'll talk a little bit about the story itself. The idea first came to me... um because of everything I saw in the FBI, I was working some stuff related to the Clinton email investigation and the Russia investigation and kind of saw the inner workings of, of DC and just how divided the country was. And, um, you know, allegory is usually a better avenue to express ideas and have people listen than nonfiction. So just kind of looked around America and said, man, you know, at times we look like this giant zoo that's just divided into different habitats and we're sort of refusing to talk to each other. So that's kind of the basis formed the zoo. And then the wolves became the Republicans and uh, the sheep became the Democrats. And um, yeah, they basically try to control the zoo and defeat the other. And by accident, they slowly accidentally destroy the zoo. Yeah, you never use in the book any reference to political parties per se. Right. Um, and, you know, in this, in the world in which we live in, it's often sometimes hard to even to put people into just two categories because right. there's a lot of overlap. I think that politicians try to put people in two categories because it's easier then to try to say, well, you're this and you're that. But uh, right. you did clearly define it uh, in the book as the wolves and the sheep. Uh, but there were a lot of other animals, so to speak, that probably fell into the independent category, yep. right? Right, exactly. <laughs> and they're getting dragged along <laughs> with this fight that's going on. Uh, let's talk a little bit about, uh, you know, how the various positions got spread in this book. You you use the eagle and the owl as voices um, to get the word out, the positions out, the thoughts out of these two camps, the the wolves and the sheep. 
Um, are we talking media? Are we talking social media? What, what was your idea with the eagle and the owls? Because they're flying around throughout this book, spouting off misses from the various contingents that are fighting with one another. That's right. So I, I think eagle, you know, eagle is obviously on the wolf side and owls on the sheep side, and um, yeah, that that would be be an allegory of mainstream media, uh, where they both, you know, they have these two. Each one of them sort of has a big bird that is completely on their side and saying exactly what they they want want to say, uh, and then the pigeons, um, you know, there's thousands of them, and all of the animals get to use the pigeons to say exactly what they want. So the the pigeons would be more in, in line with the social media, and it it creates this massive cloud of birds in the sky that are constantly shouting different things and contradictory things and uh, causing the animals to not really know what is reality or what's actually happening in the land. And and they kind of wake up when this book opens, uh, surprised that the humans haven't shown up for work and they're sort of left their own devices and they turn to the most uh, powerful in the zoo, uh, which is um, the grizzly bear. Right. Right. Um, but then there also is a chimp who's got, he's smart and, uh, they, they look to him as, as well. And I was trying to figure out, um, uh, you know, who the grizzly bear is supposed to represent and who the zookeeper is supposed to represent. God's in there somewhere, but it seems kind of like a free will kind of thing. <laughs> but the grizzly, the grizzly bear, I mean, you know, I suppose that could be, uh, I don't know. Tell, tell me, tell me about the grizzly bear. <laughs> Yeah, I think, you know, magicians shouldn't reveal too many of his tricks. So I think I try I tried to leave it open yeah. to interpretation because I, I think yeah. I, I wanted people to sort of see their own beliefs and their own opinions within the book um, and then have them sort of reflected in the mirror. But yeah, Maximus the Grizzly, he is, is probably the one truly honorable character in, in the book. Um, and he in my view, doesn't necessarily represent the founding fathers, but represents sort of the foundational principles and ideas of integrity and trust and respect uh, and freedom that America and many nations around the world are founded on. So he, throughout the book, is attempting to continue to implement those principles while the rest of the zoo is, is sort of falling apart and arguing and fighting. Yeah, and and the rest of the zoo, uh, you know, they've they've chosen sides, and and they've got representatives who are trying to manipulate the, the grizzly bear, and then uh, at times both sides want to go find the zookeeper, but the zookeeper is is a mirage. They they can't find him. They can't put their finger on him. He's just out there. And I'm not going to reveal what happens in the end regarding the zookeeper uh, by any means, but uh, right, it, it it's almost like the 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 people wanted freedom when it was granted to them they didn't know what to do with it they were all getting along pretty well before the gates were opened and then right. once the gates once the gates were opened power absolute power corrupts i guess yeah exactly power greed there's <laughs> you know there's a handful of things and i think it it is a political allegory but it also very much is, is simply a social critique i think you know, there's some theology in there. There's um, just, yeah, sort of the vices of man. There's there's a lot of things wrapped in wrapped into a pretty short book. Yeah, and and let's talk about. You know, we can't talk about this book without talking about Animal Farm. Animal Farm, 
It was the allegorical novella by George Orwell. It was first published in England in August of 1945. Of course, you know, we know the story, a group of farm animals, they rebel against their human farmer, hoping to create a society where the animals can be equal, free, and happy. That sounds kind of familiar, right. except, in this, in, except in this case, they said that George Orwell, uh, you know, he, he had in mind basically sort of a satirical commentary about the rise of the Soviet Union. And, uh, you know, in, in your mind, of course, you're, you're focused more on U.S. politics, I presume, and what's happening here. But what is it that you hope, um, I mean, he had a certain purpose in mind with his book, did you have a purpose in mind, and what is it that you hope readers take away from this take on what's going on in the world of politics? I definitely had a purpose. I think it was to help people take a look in the mirror and really reflect on what's going on in the nation right now. Uh, you know, not not to be too pessimistic or fatalistic, but historically, what is happening in America right now has not boded well in, in the past. Uh, and so I think Orwell wrote, wrote animal form as a, as a warning against communism and Zune garden is a warning against tribalism and polarization. And I think most specifically the destruction of truth. I think that is, that is, I mean, cancel cultures within there. There's, there's a lot of different things within there, but uh, the destruction of truth and the inability for, the public to know what is reality and to be divided over what is reality. Um, a, a democracy or a republic can't function within that. So really, or, or well, Animal Farm is, is to, you know, Russian communism as, as Zoom Garden is to modern, modern American politics. And I, I hope people can take, take a read and, and really reflect on, on their beliefs and try to make a change back towards civility in America. Yeah, and like I said, we don't know what what the political landscape is going to look like when this comes out in early December. Uh, we do know that we've got an election during uh, a pandemic. We know that they might still be counting votes. Maybe by the time this, this comes out yeah. in December, we, we don't know what's going to happen. And regardless of whose position you're on, this is not a political podcast. You know, whether you're a Trump supporter or or not, um, I don't think anyone can argue with the fact that. Uh, you know, the, the, this particular presidency has used uh, the, the platform to claim that uh, what people read in the media is fake news, is false. And so that that has an effect, almost like you did in your book, of who do you trust? Do you trust the eagle? Do you trust the owl? What what media do you trust? And how do we overcome this, uh, Jordan? How do, we, how do we get to a point where people can trust, you know, is there going to be another Walter Cronkite? Is there going to be another way that we can— right see the world, you know, clearly um, without people simply using this fake news mantra as a way out of what people pre previously couldn't get out of if somebody brought something to the light of day. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, it's, it's exactly right. And I think, I, I think the difficult part is that we're so divided right now and so polarized that you, you can't even actually use facts. Um, I mean, the facts are divided, you know, what, 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 I mean, and that, this is what happens toward the end of the, end of the novel, but, um, and it's actually the piece I'm going to read in, in a little bit, but it's, 
you know, they, they no longer were two species with two different visions. They were two tribes dwelling in separate realities. Um, and, and so I think we really need to start to find the middle ground of reality and that people that are neither radical left nor radical right really need to start speaking out and saying, okay, you know, this, these are the standards of truth. These are the people that, that we need to follow. These are the people that we need to trust in. Um, and then also just, just having, having integrity that is to the point of self-detriment. I, I don't think we have enough people that are willing to say I'm wrong or I was wrong. Uh, we have a lot of people that when they're faced with being wrong, they just try to distort, distort reality to make it that they were right. Um, so those are just just a couple little things, but I, I hope that people can can read the novel and really start to have an open mind towards towards changing uh, the paradigms in the country right now to to something more civil and better. Yeah, some of the lessons uh, in the book, maybe some of the themes, uh, the seeds of doubt, so distrust. Um, you did that through the what we've been talking about here with the propaganda. Um, we live a life filled with propaganda and it is alive and well in the animal world too. Is that right? Is, yeah, very true. <laughs> uh, equality means different things to different people and different animals, right? Yes, very true. Uh, and the animal kingdom, just like uh, the U.S. political system, has a two-party system. Theirs are the sheep and the wolves. And you're almost calling into question the value of having a two-party system. Definitely. And, you know, that's something that is highly debated right now is, is whether a multi-party system will will fix our problems. I don't, I don't necessarily think it will overnight. I think our problems are a little more deep rooted and um, foundational than that. But, but I, yeah, I do. I think, I think having something outside of, of uh, simply, you know, you either have to pick the left or you have to pick the right. I think the majority of Americans are, I don't want to speak for them, but uh, most people I've talked to are, are not thrilled about voting for either. So to find to find some other options out there that are maybe closer to the American heart and the American spirit would be pretty awesome. Yeah, and I'm not a big fan of the labels either. Um, you know, it's too easy to say, you know, someone's a liberal and, and it's too easy to say someone's, you know, very, very conservative or how you want to put it. And uh, they come with, you know, their own baggage. Uh, and I don't think it can define people necessarily just to put them in, in, in one little bucket like that. Uh, right. But let's do this. We got uh, we got a reading here, but I'm going to have you do something. I want you to start out with a short reading early in the book. This is uh, early in the book after the animals are freed and um, they're, they they realize that, uh, you know, they're, they're, there's freedom and uh, it, it's upon them. And then you're going to transition from there to later in the book where you're going to reveal sort of how this uh, – well, what looked like freedom turned into uh, a real battle. Yeah. As you said, two different tribes. So right. uh, whenever you're ready. Absolutely. Yeah, it'll be be quite juxtaposed. So this is towards the end of chapter one, and it's the end of Maximus's speech as he frees the animals. Tomorrow you will rise. The sun will glint your eyes as it has every day. But tomorrow you will no longer be zoo animals. You will be citizens, equal citizens of a mighty land a land ruled by free animals. Cage doors will never be locked. Toils will be for animals' reward alone. Life shall prosper on this soil. Liberty will reign in this place. On this hallowed ground, the citizen who pursues it shall achieve happiness. Seasons will pass, but this land, 
our land will remain a symbol of freedom and justice, proof that free animals can govern, flourish, and live as one. As the sun set on open habitats and solidarity, the swath of land was renamed to the passionate hoots, roars, shrieks, wails, growls, bays, barks, hisses, and howls of its citizens. Zune Garden, a land of life, liberty, and happiness for all animals. The next reading is in chapter 17, and this is as the, the great experiment in the zoo has started to unravel. In the first week, the two sides had deployed traditional tactics, argumentation, logic, compulsion. But as stakes rose and the battle intensified, the war had become no longer about truth. It had become about ideological reality and the attempt to make that reality the truth. Regardless of contrary proofs or sound antithetical arguments, the sheep and wolves had begun to shout anything they thought might sway a creature. Logic did not matter. Facts did not matter. Truth was neither what had occurred nor failed to occur. Truth was whatever the creatures believed. And with enough practice, they could make them believe anything. Truth had become a battleground won by the species that shouted loudest. Insults burst in air. Dogma bombs dropped on creatures' skulls. Slander shrapnel shredded the masses. It was a nasty ordeal, void of physical harm, but full of disparagement and personal assaults, deployed to destroy the opposition's integrity and reputation. They were no longer two species with two visions. They were two tribes dwelling in separate realities, yet inhabiting the same single unalterable reality. Each morning brought a new slur, each evening a new slight. But more than anything, the two tribes continued to insist the land's problems fell squarely and wholly on the other tribe's shoulders. Yeah, Jordan, that kind of sums it up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, you, you can look around at, uh, you know, something that appears on cable TV or something that appears in the social media. And uh, I like the, the the word choice here, insults, burst, uh, slander, shrapnel, full of disparagement and personal assaults, because that's what it's kind of turned into rather than disagreeing on a position. People assault each other if they have an opposite position. Right. A hundred percent. And it, it, uh, for lack of a better term, it's, it's somewhat childish. And I think, I think there's a lot of people out there that are a little fed up with, uh, with it and would prefer to see some, some grownups just, you know, having discussions and being able to disagree on difficult topics, but find a middle ground and, and reason, reason with one another. So hopefully Zoom Garden can play a little, little part in that. Well, so Jordan, don't you think though we need people in the in the halls of government, uh, maybe working their way through uh, law enforcement that have these uh, thoughts and concepts like you've got? Uh, you're taking a different path now. <laughs> you sort of you sort of bailed from that path, and you said, "No, I'm not going there. I'm going somewhere else." And uh, and as part of the writing life segment, uh, I guess I would ask you this question: uh, How long did it take you to write this book, and what kind of struggles did you have along the way? It took me about two and a half years. And, oh man, lots of struggles. I think I, I picked a pretty complicated book to write for my first novel. Um, I think just allegory in general is somewhat difficult to write because you're not only trying to write a compelling story, but each aspect of the story has to have an ulterior purpose and a deeper, deeper meaning. Um, so pro probably the biggest struggles were just 
not not necessarily motivation, but an understanding that I was going to write 99 pages that were not good for every one page that was going to make it into the into the final the final text. So it was it was just perseverance. It was it was waking up every day and writing for 14 hours most days, and and just grinding grinding through until um, I, I had the the final product that I needed. Um, yeah. Is this something you always wanted to do, Jordan? Because, you know, I don't think of an analyst necessarily jumping from analyst to novelist. Uh, so you must have had this uh, idea of writing a book in mind <laughs> at some point along the way. Definitely. I, I have, I've been told I have somewhat of a strange dichotomy of personalities. I have this, you know, division one wrestler, jock, FBI agent side to me. And then I have a very you know, travel across America on a bus and write a book hippie side to me. So I, I, I think the FBI was, was sort of that, that jock part. Um, but deep down, I, I have always wanted to write a novel. And um, I mean, truthfully, Landis, it's, it's going to sound kind of crazy, but I, I mean, my, my aspiration is definitely to be one of the greatest novelists of, of this generation of this time. Uh, and so I sort of that that was why I was able to, you know, give up the FBI and hop ship on something that seems so fascinating and great because I, I my bigger aspiration, though it's more difficult and it's harder to achieve, was to really write some of the great novels of, of the twenty first century and communicate a lot of the ideas that need to be communicated. Um so yeah, I'm with the same same vigor that I pursued getting those FBI, DEA, Secret Service agent offers when I was 25. I'm kind of taking that same passion and that same ambition um, full full time into writing uh, and coming out with so, finals. So I love it, uh, Jordan, that you're aiming high to be one of the all-time great American novelists. And of course, when you do become that, just remember you got your start on Charlotte Reader's podcast. <laughs> of course, of course. Yeah, you, I absolutely you're, you're, will. You're going to have to come back, you know, at that point. Of course. Uh, but you are a young man, and I assume you're going to write some more books. Uh, uh, is it going to be another book on the social critique, or are you going to branch out into other areas? What are you thinking? D definitely into other areas. Um, I I think the the greats that I really look up to the Dostoevskys, the Tolstoys, the Kafkas. Um, they you know they would be compelled by one idea. And and they would basically write an entire novel off of that. So you know, crime and punishment is how nihilism consumes a person, and that's the entire book. And I think Zoom Garden was how is tribalism and polarization affecting America. And now I'm I'm pretty interested in um, kind of a world in which people people couldn't die. Uh, so Silicon Valley is is talking about you know a a kind of creating a cure for death and I'm I'm pretty interested in what happens when we eventually achieve that whether it's 4 or 500 years from now um how does that change society as a whole um yeah so that's that's probably going to be the next novel is exploring the idea of what happens when man no longer has to die that's interesting well Jordan you've been on a journey uh a journey from the traditional to this, as you said, combination, traditional and hippie-ish kind of, <laughs> and, and then the bus trip that cross country, uh, your journey ahead, where do you see yourself in 10 years? It's hard. Um, I think, I mean, there's, there's definitely a handful of ways it could go. Um, I could see myself potentially 
you know, maybe, maybe the writing gets too tough for me and, um, being a starving author gets a little old. Uh, so maybe I go, you know, go back towards the government and head, head the CIA route. Um, I've, I've considered that and using my clearances to go that direction. Um, but I think, I think in my heart of hearts and my, my gut, I'm definitely the person that always pursues what I truly want to pursue, even if it means a lack of comfort or more suffering. Uh, so prob- probably in 10 years, I-, I see myself continuing to to pursue writing and whether in 10 years I'm one of the great American novelists or I'm still up and coming and um, have my nose to the grindstone. I think, you know, that's that's kind of up in the air, but I, I definitely see myself in 10 years continuing to write, attempt to write some of the, the great American novels. Well, that's great, Jordan. Uh, it's fascinating. I've been talking uh, with... Uh... Jordan O'Donnell, he's written uh, his first novel, Zoom Garden, and uh, it's uh, it's it's a real interesting story. It'll get you it'll get you thinking, um, which I think is part of what he had in mind uh, when he wrote it. Jordan, best of luck to you in your in your next ten year journey and your next bus trip, and, uh, <laughs> and and thanks so much for being on Charlotte Rear's podcast, Landis. It was it was truly a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Well, that's it for today. Another fine author giving voice to their written work. Landis will be back next Friday getting under the covers with another interesting author. But before then, coming on Tuesday, we'll have another long-form episode with readings and conversations about the written words and the writing life of a local or regional author. Landis loves helping authors give voice to their written words, but he can't do it alone. If you're inclined to help me help authors give voice to their written words, please consider becoming a member supporter. We'd love to have you as a member. And when you join at certain levels, we'll give you access to member-only content curated by the authors and me. Would you like to hear more from the authors? Perhaps a variety of presentations on writing craft, or additional readings, or tips on marketing and social media. Would you like some behind-the-scenes insights and reflections from me, or some edited content from previous episodes without interruptions? You can find out more about these member-only benefits and how to become a member supporter at charlottereaderspodcast.com. Thank you for your support, and thank you for listening. Until next week. I'm Landis Wade for Charlotte Readers Podcast. Charlotte Readers Podcast is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Now offering video visits so you can take control of your orthopedic care from the comfort of your home. Schedule online at orthocarolina.com. Ortho Carolina, you improved.